safe side. Stick out the mandolin and the <laughs> voice. The whole thing, really. Hello and welcome to another edition of Hop Heroes, the show where we talk about our favorite drinks and our favorite heroes. I'm your host, Jordan Arith, and with me, as always, we have the talented artist and comic enthusiast and birthday boy himself, J.R. Gonzalez. Happy birthday. Thank you. To you. I've gotten that quite a bit. (laughs) Is that why you're in your birthday suit as as we record this? No, I just wanted to show my pecs off. So. <laughs> Always with the pecs. Oh, Always with, is that Crisco? What did you? What <laughs> yeah, sh- listening. Jeez, listening. Listening. Can't even look directly at you. <laughs> no, what'd you do, bro? Happy birthday, man. How was your weekend? Uh, so far so good. Uh, took. Uh, I never take vacation. You know, I usually if I do like a day off from work, it's like one. One day, you know, do like a three-day weekend. But Amber and I took uh, a couple days off. Uh, I'm off Monday. Um, I and I, one of the things I love to do on my birthday is I get to like, I love having dinner with Amber, and I love just going to a movie, just like a date night. And so this year was kind of different, obviously, because of COVID. And so what we did was go to uh, a drive-in theater in Shelton, the Skyline Drive-In Theater. Oh, and oh that's cool. Yeah, so it's kind of nice. Uh, watch Gremlins, you know, and um, <laughs> nice. So that that was fun, and you know, barbecue and and uh, hanging out with family so far, and um, just uh, having some time to myself. I think has been something I needed, which I never take vacation. I never do. I'm I'm always feel like I'm missing out. When you're in sales, you always feel like you're gonna miss out on something. So mm-hmm. um, this is the first time I've taken more than a day, and uh, so far so good. So it's been fun. Man, I take vacation all the time. So, is it like a humble brag about your work ethic? Like, I never take yeah. vacation. I'm, I'm I do. I seriously subtle, don't. Subtle I, brag. I don't even, I don't ever take It's so hard to these days. When I had like a labor job, it was easy, you know, like where I was constantly, you know, lifting things and, and you know, 50 hour weeks. But in sales, you know, you, you go from a full day to like not so full day. So, vacations are, are, are they feel different. So, you just you always feel like you're missing out, like you're always missing out on that next big like win. So yeah. you, it's really hard to leave. I feel that you're, so, you're like the model employee, Jr. I don't know if you're like oh. building this for your LinkedIn resume. This little audio I do have my here, I do I'm have sold. my review coming up next week. <laughs> I just go. my thing is go. like I know that my PTO doesn't roll over, and so I'm like, all right, well if you're gonna give it to me, I'm gonna take it. So yeah, <laughs> that's that's how I look at it. For sure, for sure. And then we got our third host, our good friend and published author, Zach Attack Barlow. How you living, kid? Ooh, ooh, that's like a new little little attribution there. I like that. It's also <laughs> true. I feel like no it was lies over, were long told. Overdue. It was long overdue. You deserve that. <laughs> three years later. <laughs> I three years. That was so long ago. <laughs> He's been patient, folks. Yeah, <laughs> uh, I'm yeah. good, man. I'm good. This uh, quick story. So, um, the, so we just moved to uh, this this town in in Washington that neither Alicia and I have any real kind of previous experience with, and uh, we were looking through to see like cool little factoids about this town, and what we realized is that one of our favorite musicians also lives in this town, uh, Brandy Carlisle. I don't know if you guys know who that is. She's a like a country singer. She sings the joke. Um, yeah. She's she's super she's a Grammy award winning like huge artist 
and she lives nine minutes away from us. So what? It's pretty wild. We we uh, just uh, this morning woke up and, and creeped and drove through her neighborhood. And, uh, <laughs> oh, good was, lord. Yeah. <laughs> All of her windows were locked, unfortunately. But yeah, well, <laughs> except the one in, you know in the in the washroom area, which I was able to fit through. Um, but um, yeah, yeah. So it was cool. I was super. I was stoked about that. It's like, man, our neighbor is uh, Brandy Carlisle. And she has kids that are super young. And so, like, if we have kids within the next five years, the chances of them going to the same school are pretty high. So, And being neighbors and, like, ride the bus together and shit. You got to get in there. Get in there now. Yeah, man. Yeah. What are I, you uh, doing on this microphone? Go reproduce. <laughs> it it kind of reminds me of that Friends episode where, like, Phoebe was babysitting Ross. With Sting? Son. It was Sting. And yeah, yeah. She was trying to meet. She was trying to meet Sting at every like level. I feel like that's you. <laughs> as soon as I, mother. what's funny about it is, as soon as I found out, we were literally in line to get coffee at this like local coffee stand. I get there and I'm like, "Hey, listen, I have a random question for you." And she's just like, "What?" And I'm like, "Have you ever seen like Brandy Carlisle come through here?" And then she told me this story about how Brandy Carlisle like goes to her high school and how she lives in the same neighborhood as Brandy Carlisle. And then I was like, "Oh, what neighborhood?" And that's how I found out that you know that's how I ended up at Brandy Carlisle's uh, inside of her house. Um, but anyway, yeah. Were you wearing like a plain dark blue hat and sunglasses, like your fucking paparazzi undercover, just trying to figure out? Yeah, but I was standing about. inside of her living room, just, just with my hands in my pocket, but just glasses on, pretending to be on my phone. <laughs> In her living room? <laughs> yeah. As she's, like, walking Can't by me in the kitchen, I'm just like, as long as I pretend to be on my phone and look down, nobody's going to notice I'm here. <laughs> I don't know if that's how it works, but I love the attempt. 2020 um, camouflage. <laughs> yeah. Oh, good shit. Well, uh sounds like everybody's had a, a big uh, couple weeks. I know it's been a week since we've been on the mic, but, uh, yeah, I went out to, to Homer, Alaska with, with Sammy and her mom, and that was a fucking awesome trip. It's it's about a four-hour drive from, from Anchorage, and it's where my grandma grew up, so we went and saw where her house was. It's just a plot of land now. That's cool. But it's right there on the cliffside, and Homer's got, like, the longest spit in the world. It's like a four-and-a-half-mile spit that just shoots out into the Kamchak Bay. Yeah, it's like a peninsula, basically, but it's really thin. Like, you can just walk down the boardwalk, and the ocean's oh, okay. on both sides of you. Oh, so okay. you just walk it, drop a tent on the side, and there's all these restaurants and bars and stuff. It's... Really, and it's like surrounded by mountains. The ocean is like this little inlet, so it's really calm, and it's just it's just a really fucking cool place. Um, and we uh, we met our neighbors. We had this cabin on the cliffside, and our neighbors uh, were this couple, uh, married couple, Gary and Carlos. And have any of you guys watched Hellier? Have I talked to you guys about Hellier yet? No, I've mm, talked to you about that. Yeah. Uh, well, it's this show on Amazon. There's two seasons, and it's uh, Greg and uh, Dana Newkirk, who are a husband and wife paranormal investigator tandem. And Hellier is a show where they get reached out to to go visit uh, these caves in Kentucky because there's all these goblin sightings. And it's a true document, like it's a true show, and it's fucking like really interesting. But they talk about synchronicities all the time. And it's like when like coincidences happen, like they're intentional. And if multiple happen all at, at once, then you're following the right trail. So like synchronicity is what they use as like kind of like their beacon of whether or not they're like their compass. And so we're really big, Sammy and I, into that. And uh, our neighbors, Gary and Carlos, came over. And Gary was a, a naturopath, and Carlos is a chemist. And they're like figuring out what they want to do with the next big step in their life. And they're both, he got a job offer to go work in Seattle and be a representative for WSU. And so the fact that me and Sammy both went to WSU, he's like, that's a synchronicity from like the heavens. And like, it's like, this is fucking crazy. Like, they were in synchronicities, and it was a whole thing. So a bunch of coincidences, and like the energy of that place is just fucking phenomenal so we really had a great time and uh 
we got some good beer from Homer, so that's what we're going to be drinking on this episode. And we're talking Parallel, uh, which is another indie comic submission that we're very excited about. But uh, until then, here's the beverage breakdown. So the beer that I'm drinking today is straight out of Homer, uh, Grace Ridge Brewing. Um, I did a little post on the Instagram of one of their beers, the Amber, and now we're doing the Sadie Peak IPA. So uh, Grace Ridge, it's ran by the Stead family out in Homer, Alaska. It's a small little brewery. Um, it started back in 1988, and that was when Sherry Stead uh, purchased a five-gallon homebrew, crit, homebrew kit for Christmas. And the um, whole family got into it, and actually that homebrew kit is still used to this day in their brewery. Um, they started out as a home brewers and the community just loved what they were making. And so they expanded throughout the community and then they finally got uh, a three barrel system going. So now they can uh, mass produce. So it's just on the come up, very fresh and uh, very great beer. So this one is the Sadie Peak. It's got a nice amber color there. I've been drinking a little bit already. So the head's kind of died off, but it's got some lace going down the, the cup there. You can see, which is always a good sign. So let's throw her back. That's an IPA. Mm-hmm. Man, it's a red IPA. I was going to say, it tastes more like an amber. Like, it hits more like an amber. It's very malty. Um, it's 5.8%, uh, but it's got it's got some hop feel to it. It's just, it's definitely more malty, I would say. It's got uh, pale and crystal malt, Amarillo, Centennial, and Simcoe hops, and, and it's an American uh, ale yeast. So, it's... It's not It's not going to be one of those hazy IPAs that we've talked about a lot. It's not going to have that citrus punch. It's got pine, a little bit of pineiness to it. Um, but overall, I'd say this is this is like a, a amber IPA, and this is leading towards amber. So usually my IPAs like a little bit more, a little more citrus, or at least a little bit more, um, you know, like punch, a, like a bitterness to it. Yeah, a little more bite. And this one, this one's just kind of like a smooth, just laying on the back of your throat and like kind of like some molasses going down there so it's delicious i could drink it i mean i'm almost done with the can these fucking cans if you haven't seen on the instagram look at the size of this hoss dude <laughs> oh my god how many it's ounces like, uh 32 32 Holy ounce shit. can so it's basically like a fosters <laughs> and it says at the bottom please recycle this can for the love of god <laughs> it's, it doesn't say for the love of god but it's, I, I get it because this fucking much aluminum can make like a bass boat when you recycle this bad boy <laughs> so plenty plenty of material to work with there so Overall, um, I've had two beers so far. I got a third below me, the Vienna Lager, that I'll probably be drinking as we go on through this episode. Um, but I, uh, I'm a fan, and I, I, I like it as an amber. I just I want a little bit more hops for my IPAs. Do you so. do you think that like the IPA punch that that you're used to is a Washington or Pacific Northwest specific thing, and this like amber leaning style is Alaskan, or or do you think that this is just like one brewery's take on on what an IPA is? Um, have I you seen a this... difference at least in like Alaskan versus Washington beer specifically for the IPA? Uh, this is the first one I've noticed a big difference. Like the, the breweries out in Anchorage, their IPAs are pretty similar. They got a lot okay. of that bite, a lot of that citrus and, and New England IPAs I know for, are coming from the East coast, which, which is kind of what invented the hazy IPA trend. So I know the IPAs over there on the East coast are very similar to that. Um, but I will say this is the first IPA I've had that's very amber heavy. Um, so a little All right. different. A little bit different. Word. All right. So that is our beverage breakdown. And uh, without further ado, let's sit crisscross applesauce and let JR take us through story time. Talk parallels.
talk parallel. Uh, so today, the story is written by Jason Douglas, um, and the art is by Adam Ferris, and it's produced by and published by Source Point Press. Um, so it's a very, you know, it's a very small book uh, as compared to what we're obviously reading. Um, but obviously, this month is all about independent writers and independent comic books. So um, we jumped on the chance to to review this book and to uh, we're actually do a Q and A with with Jason Douglas. So um, the story follows uh, Landon Smith um, and kind of his uh, his life and his spare uh, spiraling out of control situation that he he seems to be in. It's not like he put himself in there, um, but the story starts off with a with a bang because he's he's already hit by a bus <laughs> and jacked up <laughs> a literal bang a literal bang and um it it takes him to a a place where his life is is not where it needs to where he wants to be and i i, I think i relate to that part at times because everybody has dreams and and when they're younger and they have these things where they want to be and um his life went from being a, a musician a musician playing rock and row and being in clubs and having fun to being a secretary for his uh, significant other, which is probably never a good idea to be working with your significant other and let them be their boss. Let them yeah. be your boss. Yeah, but would you Action. rather be a secretary for your wife or would you rather be a secretary for a rando? I don't think I'd like to be a secretary for my wife. I mean, rando. I already get bossed. Yeah. Really? Bossed around. Yeah, I mean, for it, it's, sure. there's a I'm, dynamic that's, that's there. It's really dangerous. I've I've seen that dynamic, and it's not like uh, the 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 uh, the the wife is the secretary, but she there's a dynamic there that needs to be separated. Uh, particularly, you want to be like successful at like you know you're not going anywhere if you're a secretary. Like, well, you know, for sure, yeah, yeah. Like you're, Being you're a secretary would suck. But I'm just thinking, like, if I was a secretary for Alicia, like, man, there's so many corners I would cut. I'd basically be a (laughs) stay-at-home professional video game player at that point. She'd have to hire a new secretary. (laughs) Keep me on on pay, but then get enough. I'd have to have have a secretary, like, assistant for me (laughs) that actually did the job. Babe, I know I'm your secretary, but I'm going to need one, too, because this is just (laughs) It's too much. It's a lot of work. It's hard for me to golf and fish every day and get everything done that you asked me to. Yeah, like, I don't think gotta, that's how that works. You got a lot of plate, babe. <laughs> I don't think that I don't think that's how it works. I think you would be obli- uh, obligated to actually type something out and get oh, a coffee. Oh, fuck that! God, can you um, imagine so- Zach's like typing up of like a fucking just like a generic like script for business stuff, like a like a formatted. Like report and it's just got I so do much it all the time. So much unnecessary heart. It's literally my job. <laughs> I know. I literally have to like take what I like to do and squeeze it into this tiny little shape that whatever. Anyway, that's not exactly. It's supposed to be bullet points, not a fucking five hundred word essay. Oh, on, I've gotten that talking more life. times than I would like to admit. My, my my boss always says, "Be more Hemingway, less Fitzgerald." And I'm like, and I'll look at him and be like, "No." Make me. <laughs> he obviously wasn't in our book club because you uh, are much more F. Scott than than Ernest. Yeah, well, yep, he hired me. His goof, his spoof. Yep. Um. So, anyways, the story. He's he's in a hospital, and his wife Claire comes to um. At almost like a, it's bothering her. Like as in like it. Like I, why am I even here? You know, she's looking on her cell phone. Um, she's. This is after of, he gets hit by the bus, right? After he gets hit by the bus, right. he okay. had that flash of where the he could have, where he could have mm. been. Oh, pretty! Look at that. Mm. 
looks like a pet bad pour. Looks like a cream soda. <laughs> did it on purpose. Soda. I'm sure you did. I want to show you off that show off the head. Just just the tip. <laughs> um, Sorry, Jared. Go on. <laughs> I, I'm fine. I'm just waiting. Just waiting. Okay, go ahead, Jr. Uh, we got you, bro. We're supporting. <laughs> So anyway, she she meets a detective. There's you know she gets angry. She's upset because now she has to deal with this uh this you know problem that he created by walking in front of the bus. There's some talk about suicide. Um, and he's and in a coma at this point. He's, so he's literally like in a coma. But his brain's not dead. His brain's not dead. And in fact, the doctor talks about how there's there's some weird things going on with his brain waves. Right. You know, there's some like. She's like not really sure what's going on, and that's where it kind of flashes to where he's twenty one and he's in a band and he's playing music and kind of uh, where he you know basically meets his uh, Claire right and Claire is the Claire is like no joke she you know has a taser fucks people up when she needs to and and it, it what it does at this point of story is it really starts tracking down the years it says year six you know um, and going back and forth to where where Landon is in a hospital you know year four year three and he, you know he's working for her there and year two he's they're not happy with each other right um mm-hmm. uh they're actually sleeping in the same bed but they might as well be sleeping in a different bed you know she's literally they literally are separated there's like a big barrier between them um what I liked about di- that that's that that sequence is like as you look at the bed scene like it, it's the same panels over and over again from year to year for the last like three. Yeah. And the bed sequence, they're s- slowly spreading farther and farther apart in bed. Like, they're yeah. back to each other, but, like, as the sequence goes on, they're farther and farther away from each other to the point where they're, like, sleeping on the edges of their bed. And right. and what's interesting about that sequence, too, is that um, that sequence is framed by his wife trying to make the argument that there's no way he commits suicide because they have a great life and everybody's super happy. And yeah. so then, yeah. it, and then it shows, like, how they were happy for some time, and then, like, the last three years was pure misery for him but she didn't see it and then like it repeats itself like three years away is the same as two years away which is the same as one year away and it shows like oh like nothing changed and he's just been like stewing in this misery that she never saw for the last like three years right right and and like anything anytime and kind of it's funny that you know you talk about you know being alicia's secretary i mean he's there looking at like guitars and kind of going back to that dream I mean, everybody daydreams sometimes, and everybody has these, like, aspirations to do something great. So you start researching, right? And he's literally doing that, and she, like, gets all over him about it. And it kind of shows uh, a, a distaste that she has for him at this point, you know? And um, and that's kind of the, the point where he, he walks out into the bus, but it really tells you what something different happened. Did he walk out or did he get pushed out? You know, there's something, something obviously not normal about the scenario of someone just walking out of the bus that's not normal but there's like a- another element to it and there's a yeah. voice that starts popping in his head starts almost egging him on and uh and it only happens when he's in- unconscious too it only happens something something different happens when he's unconscious he goes he lives well a- the voice the voice is there that's that's yes. what sparks well, it right the, the right the voice is there but he it's like, like transfers over when he basically loses consciousness yeah yeah he goes to another i guess a what parallel a parallel and um and that's where he gets the experience if his life had gone and made different choices in a different 
uh, and different and those same scenarios make different choices in the same scenarios and where his life could have been to where it's like now he's like a rock star, you know, with mm-hmm. a, a beautiful wife and, and a baby and they're he's able to create music, but he doesn't he got dropped into this scenario. So now he's like not sure. So he's kind of weird at the same time. And so it's kind of like a taste of what happened, what like could, what happen could have he, been exactly. Um, and that's kind of where uh, after that he wakes, he wakes right up. So it's like, what the hell just happened? I'm like, you know, am I like, he's got that, like, like what the fuck now I'm back to this crap. You know what I mean? And, and he's all jacked up of course. Um, but you know, in the story, they kind of break down what the parallel universe kind of means and what people do in that choice. And it's kind of what I was saying, you kind of, everybody, there's like these different almost dimensions in people's lives, you know, like almost like a multiverse, right? We, when we talk about, you know, Spider-Man and, and Marvel comics and, um and dc comics it's like you have these exact same people living these lives they're they're they have the same opportunity that you have same choices that you make but they just what they or same decisions they just gone a different way and basically mm-hmm. uh that's what's explained to him um and there's some there's a you know there's a a lot of uh you know you kind of get to more where claire is claire is his wife right and um in, in this part of the story and he has to see a therapist you know and um the therapists are telling you know trying to understand that it's not really a vision you know um she kind of convinces him that it's not um uh, but he gets he keeps taking the the i guess the the landon from the other parallel keeps bringing him back like sucking him back and um well he's like is, the little go- he's like the little fomo fucking demon on your shoulder like this is what could have been if you would have made different decisions like this whole story is like fear of missing out or fear of settling and yeah. landon or landon's like alternative landon keeps popping in his head like hey just so you know it's still an option like you hate this admit you hate this and he he gets twisted in his head to the point where he throws himself down a flight of stairs just to be unconscious again so he can go back into this world of being a rock god and he looks like fucking Tommy Lee from fucking uh, Motley Crue, but it's uh, it's it's interesting and it's um, <clears throat> it's dark because it gets to the point where like he's gone, he's basically almost killed himself twice, hopped from a bus or pushed in front of a bus by his alternative self, and then uh, throw himself down a flight of stairs, and he realizes like if I need to, if I truly want to take this leap and hop into that world, like it can't be a temporary. Uh, unconscious situation like he has to permanently end his life because that's that's the only way he can fully connect there and that's that's kind of a a, a yeah. path that he's going down and a decision he has to make at the end yeah and at this point too like right you know when he before he jumps down the stairs his life is already it's getting worse right I mean he, his wife has already left him for that I guess he looked like Norman Osborn born to me the, the detective, detective? So that did happen. I don't know. Did she? Did like, she leave him for the detective? I'm that not was, sure. That was very. I was curious about that too. To me, when I read it, it, felt it like seemed it like it was kind of like portrayed like, but um, it was never like, oh yeah, this definitely happened. It was kind of just, oh well, maybe you never know. She put but her she hand on left his shoulder. Him. Yeah. And... Yeah, but there's there's a scene too where I thought where she was like at his house or something because she was like, hey, he's not answering, and I gotta go check on him or something. Um, oh yeah. And so I felt like Charity made that. I already, she says, I already found a place to go, you know, like, or already, you know, moving on. So I feel like she already started not saying that they were like, you know, I can't jump to conclusions, obviously, because. Well, they're in love and they're going to be together forever. 
Yeah, so, so. I think she's on to something <laughs> better, bigger and better uh, to her eyes. Um, but so that decision to jump down the stairs just kept getting easier and easier and easier. And then the deci- you know, t- decision to take his life got easier and easier and easier. Um, and it, it was kind of like an external, you know, it wasn't just a, a push from the guy from the parallel, landing from the parallel universe. It's like almost like his whole life pushed him to that as well. Um, yeah. Yeah. And so that's that's kind of that's kind of, you know, that's kind of the story a little bit, you know, it's kind of, you know, where he just there's a decision to be made and he makes a decision. And we, and we give spoilers on the show. So the end is is is, uh, I guess, up for debate. It sounds like Jr. had some thoughts and I don't mean Zach have some, but like Jr. was saying, the whole the whole story is is just making it easier and easier for this guy to like, yep, I should probably just kill myself. Like, I should probably just end it right now because there's a better life out there that I wish I'd be living. I don't like my current life. And I've seen evidence that if I do go under, I will be that person over there. And it even alludes to the other uh, Landon saying, like, I have, like, I could go into how I have uh, terminal illness. And the only way I can survive is if I merge with another one of my, like, he, he touches on that in, like, one panel about the whole, like, reasoning for reaching out to this Landon. But doesn't really go into that too much in depth. But... It all leads to this point where he has this thing of pills from a psychiatrist in in his like whole situation is like I can just down this bottle and I'm living the dream life. And he even like he's being told in his head, do it, do it, do it by this other land. And he's like, this is my decision. I'm going to do it. Shows him grab the bottle of pills, put on like a suit and then it cuts and he's walking into a music store and there's reflections of his alternative self and Claire in the glass as he's walking in. And so the way I took that was he flushed the pills, made the hard decision to not kill himself and live in this life that he didn't really fully reach his full potential in, but it's never too late to start over. And it says that when he's going through the blackboard and he's like drawing all these parallel lines and geometry or whatever it was. And like how, no matter how deep you get into trying to find new routes, it's never too late to clean the board and start from scratch. So the way I took it was he's always the one that's taken the path of least resistance. He's taken what's most comfortable to him. And that's kind of got to where he's at today. And he's not happy with that. And, and currently moving forward, the path of least resistance was suicide because it was going to just, he'll down it and he'll go start a new life in where he wanted to be. And instead he's realized that he can't keep doing that. And he needs to bite the bullet and take the honorable route and just restart his life today. Um, and and become the man he wanted to be on his own, as opposed to just taking the easy way out. Zach, did you have any different yeah, thoughts on that? <clears throat> that's a that's a good take, though. I I really like that take. I I yes, did not come to that same conclusion. Um, my conclusion was that he took those pills and he essentially restarted his life in a different in a different world. Because to me, he looked younger in that panel. Like, I felt like it was, like, a 21-year-old version of him where he, like, basically got reborn and was able to, like, do things differently. And when he walked into that to that music store, all the reflections, I didn't see – maybe I just didn't look at it close enough, but I didn't think that was Claire in one of the reflections. I thought it was just another version of him. Ah. So I may have goofed oh. it up. But, like, basically what I thought was it was kind of, a like, an underlining of the the aspect of parallel lines and how, like – he walked into that reflection and, and at the same time it was like this land and this land and this land and this land and this land. And they were all the same age as him kind of all moving through in a parallel universe the same way again. And and it was like a restart of, of everything that had already happened. And let, like, let's see what kind of like a cliffhanging ending. Like, will, will Landon 
do better this time. Like, that's kind of how I took it. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. That's a good take, too. Those are... I guess it is up for interpretation. I mean, I kind of got a little bit of both, I guess, if I was... I was a little bit confused. I mean, um, he... My confusion came from the reflections, right? I felt like, okay, so... I was kind of leaning towards Zach a little bit. It, it seems like he took over that guy's position, but that guy's always kind of gonna be there so he's kind of watching and then i had no idea that was claire either i kind of thought that was like maybe another version of him as well yeah but, I'm, I'm like gonna look at the panel again um, I, I, I might have I, I might have been goofing i totally i totally get why either both i mean now with jordan's explanation seems more spot on it seems more positive and probably what was actually well <laughs> 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 well well i mean i was not um i guess not understanding that part but yeah i mean it's definitely got a uh uh like a, you look at a painting and you're like anybody could see it differently. You know what I mean? That you know yeah. even though you, you you both all three of us are standing right in front of it, each one of us has a different take. So I guess that that's kind of fun to to know, you know, like there's no it's kind of your own Yule universe that you poked into. Yeah, and and I mean whatever will we do? We'll never know the answers to these questions because we don't have the writer coming on next to answer oh, all these questions for yeah, us. Yeah, that's just awful. Oh wait. Yeah. Oh, wait. We do. Uh, yes. We're going to take a quick break, but uh, we have Jason Douglas coming on, to who is the writer of Parallel. And let's, we're let's very excited to Let's start with being him. like, hey, how does it end? <laughs> yeah, let's start with the end. Like, what does it mean? Sure, you have yeah. a great backstory. We want to hear all of it, but first, who's right? Like, this is yeah. <laughs> that's the premise of our, our podcast here. One of us has to be right. We're aware of that. And uh, we want to know first. Yeah. Uh, but we're re- very excited to have Jason on, so we will... Uh, Go to a quick commercial break and be right back with our guy. Hello, Hopheads. It's your friendly neighborhood host, Jordan. Just saying again, thank you so much for tuning in this week. We had a blast with Jason and we loved reading Parallel and chatting the dynamics of the story. That being said, we want to give a shout out to our sponsor for this week. This week's episode is brought to you by Action City Comics. Action City is located in Federal Way, Washington. Uh, Our boy Doug over there has been doing wonders during this COVID situation, and he has been making it accessible left and right for you to pick up curbside and or pick up online. So you have every option at your disposal with the current climate, and it is just there for the taking so please please go to action city comics in a federal way say what's up i also have a art auction going on held by jr action city and hop heroes which is very exciting so you can look at the options available on at action city comics on instagram at hop heroes pod on instagram or at jrg6 strpat so plenty of options for you to check out what is hot what is available, and how to get some dope-ass art to your place. So outside of that, that's all we have to say this week. Thank you so much for listening. Here's back to the episode where we get to hear all about Jason and his journey and what Parallel became. And we're back, and we have our very special guest for the episode today, Jason Douglas on with us, writer of Parallel. Jason how you doing, buddy? I am doing well. Thank you very much for having me, gentlemen. It is a great honor to be here. Oh, thank you. The pleasure is all ours. This the is honor is all ours. Yeah. 
This is the first time we've had a writer on after reading the books. This is very cool. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Super unique. Yeah. Excellent. Yeah. So we have, uh, a, we just did a review of the story. We have a lot of questions. We're very excited to talk about it. And we have a little Q&A format we like to do. And typically what we started off with is a comic theme question. Uh, so if you could just tell us a little bit about your origin story. You know, how'd you come to be the writer you are today? Well, you've got, you've kind of got like the two pronged thing. So I think my, I think my comic book origin story is pretty typical. I think the writer aspect of it might be a little atypical. Um, I mean, my love for comic books goes back to when I was a kid. I did that thing where I think I came to it a little bit late. I did not have the older brother or the dude down the street, nobody to tell me what was cool and was it wasn't cool. So like all my mm-hmm. music, all my movies, my comics and whatever, I came to a little bit late. But once I discovered it, got that addictive personality so i was all in right mm-hmm. i did that thing where i was i was i was crazy comic book fan for a chunk of years late adolescence early teen years and then kind of walked away for about nine years and then mm-hmm. came back actually um there was only two comics check this out there's only two comics that i carried with me through my uh, nine-year hiatus and that was neil gaiman sandman and art spiegelman's mm-hmm. mouse um, wow. literally read mouse in college for a class, even after having been familiar with it before, but those only two nice. that kind of followed me and I really left it behind. And then when Neil Gaiman came back to comics, uh, in what, 2003, 2004 with Marvel 1602, um, it like was what brought me back into comic shops for the first time. And then I was kind of, uh, you know, the addictive personality do- dove back in and I've been a, an insane like collector and reader again ever since. Um, so that's kind of like a very typical kind of comic story, but as far as writing comics, um, I kind of came around to it backwards and not in your typical straightforward way. It had always been a dream and very similar to some of the themes in the book of mm-hmm. dreams deferred and time goes by, right? And, right. and like a blink of an eye and suddenly you're at this stage in your life and you're like, wait a minute, I used to have forever to do the things that I wanted to do and now it, it's not quite that reality anymore um it Mm -hmm. just kind of simmered and uh what happened is i started writing plays um and that happened a long time before i even attempted a comic script um uh, my my day job is a public school teacher and after doing some acting myself when i was younger uh i started a drama club when i was an elementary school teacher and then i started one when i was a middle school teacher and because we had no budget um, and I couldn't afford to buy a play for those kids. I started writing them myself and, uh, we would put those on, we would produce them and, and, uh, I got a couple of them published. And so I was doing that kind of That's like awesome. on a yearly basis. Like I was writing a one act every single year and writing skits around there. And one year I took a break one summer. Um, I took a break from writing a new play and I was like, well, if I'm doing this, if I've got the, in my mind at the time, this, this might even pay into a, a play into a question you've got later, but like, in my head, I had this overconfidence of I've got writing chops now. Like I can do this. Like I can write a play. I can do that. No problem. I can do one more this summer. So of course, of course, I can write a comic. I mean, come on. How hard could it be? And so this one summer, <laughs> famous I was, last words. I'm I'm gonna finally pursue this the thing that was as much as I love the theater, as much as I love the stage, as much as I love putting them on and writing them and stuff. Like the the thing that I always wanted to do was write a comic, and um, mm-hmm. so I just decided to do it. Um, and I was in this place of blissful ignorance of not actually having a frame of reference on how you do it and the kind of false uh, confidence that of course I can. Um, and I I think I've said this before, but like, 
had I known then what I know now, I don't know if I would have, but I'm really glad that I did. <laughs> wow, dude, that's amazing. So you're basically the Lynn Manuel Miranda of the comic book writing. Uh, I would not say that. That uh, <laughs> that man has more talent in his pinky finger than I have in my whole body for a lifetime. But thank you for the comparison. <laughs> I still haven't seen Hamilton, but I plan on watching it soon. Man, you have yeah. got to see Hamilton. It's really that good. That is a must. Yeah. That's an incredible story, man. That's I dig that's, it. Yeah. And Sandman, dude, I hear that. Yeah, that's good stuff. And so I, I guess, you know, for us, we just, you got that journey started, you got the writing, you got it going. How did you start to get to the publishing? You know, how did you hook up with, you know, SourcePoint Press? So uh, again, this is this is not your typical story for, for somebody's first book getting published. It is not. Um, you know, I, my very first script got picked up by a very large independent publishing house, SourcePoint Press, right? I mean, Comparison to the big two, uh, we are minuscule. But in the in the indie game, like this is a growing company and and, mm-hmm. and a company with a pretty wide reach with like you know ten to twelve books each month in previews, um, and very similar to how I wrote the script, which is very much kind of like in an, a bubble of ignorance. And I don't want that to have a negative connotation. I just didn't have a frame of reference on how this worked. So like when I sat down mm-hmm. to write what basically turned into the first half of parallel the first 32 pages it was just me and the computer and saying well I, i'm gonna do this right there was no mm-hmm. idea of how that translates to an artist or how you get an artist and on how you put it out in the world and when i got done with about the first half and i knew this was a, a place to break and and start exploring those other aspects of it um i did what anybody does in the 21st century and i looked online at how you publish something. Uh, and I, because I'm you know, old school and because I came as a fan from the days of the industry when you know, self-publishing and, and like doing a Kickstarter either didn't exist or was a very, very small, small, small fraction of, of how things were done, mm-hmm. I looked up publishers. And it was very, I'll be honest with you, it was, it was very, um, it was cold. It was not welcoming. It looked, it was daunting. Uh, Mm -hmm. there aren't, you know, 99% of the publishers you find online are not looking for your unsolicited submissions, right? Mm -hmm. And if they are, if they're accepting unsolicited submissions, they want your art. They don't want your script, right? Mm -hmm. And again, in my kind of like blissful ignorance of not knowing exactly how this was done, I didn't let that deter me. And a few months later, um, Motor City Comic Con in Detroit was coming up. And I went and I had this little, I did my research ahead of time and I had this little short list of, I think this might be a publisher that will have a booth here. And, and I did this in a very old school way. Um, I grabbed supplies from my literal classroom and I put the paper copy of the script and the cover letter and the pitch and everything in like a, a, a manila album in the, in the yellow file folder that you remember from school. I literally uh, had, yeah. pap- I had paper, I had color paper clips from my desk like holding it together <laughs> and i and i walked up to uh the first booth i saw and it was this beautiful gorgeous huge booth at motor city comic-con and it was a source point booth and just i don't when i say dumb luck i don't want to diminish that yes i put a lot of work and effort into this thing but right. it was dumb luck because i walked up to the first person i locked eyes with at that booth 
not because I had some premonition, not because my gut told me that was the person to talk to, but because this dude was a big dude with a giant, glorious red beard. And it just <laughs> happened to be Travis McIntyre, the co-founder, president, and editor-in-chief of SourcePoint. And I talked to him, and I handed him my, <laughs> my you know, packet of hard copy of this thing that I had worked on and he's just you you could see him looking at me sideways not because of the content but because like are you trying to pitch me a comic in 1971 like what is happening here why are you not sending me an email and right. and I think and he liked it and he just liked the fact that I was I was approaching him in a way that I think it looked confident but it was obviously from ignorance um, and then he went home and read it and said, come back and see me tomorrow. And we signed a contract within a little bit of time. And he's like, you know, go write me the second half. And I was like, absolutely. Uh, it was like, uh, it was like on a movie. It was like for a movie pitch where they go, uh, you can ride a horse, right? You'll get the part if you can ride a horse. And the person, the actor is always like, yes, I can ride a horse. <laughs> Google's how to ride of horse. Of course I can write the second yeah. half. I got tons of ideas. I lied, but I went home and did it anyway. Um, and so like I got... I, I, for the, for a first script, you know, for a first comic, I, I kind of did this end around and some of it was dumb luck again, not diminishing the hard work that I put into the story and the thought right. behind it. But like the way that I got to mm -hmm. the spot where I am right now, where I've got a published book out in the world, it's really, really luck. Mm -hmm. Okay. That's, that's an awesome story. I, I love hearing that because, uh, I'm a writer as well, an aspiring writer, um, and I, I'm, I'm curious about kind of the, um, the process in which you took to take parallel from that initial spark in your mind to that published piece that we're reading and talking about today. Um, I know that you said that you were a playwright. I've actually taken a number of playwriting classes and I imagine that approaching a comic from a kind of dialogue, dialogics perspective might actually work to translate into, into, um, like panels, so, you know, what was like kind of the pitfalls and then what was like the, ooh, I got lucky there, like things to take it from that spark to, to what we are talking about now? Well, it's so, it's so funny that you say that because I thought the exact same thing and I was very wrong. Uh, <laughs> like, I, like some of that misplaced confidence came from the fact that uh, writing a skit or putting a scene in a play had at that point in where I was writing it was like breathing. It was like second nature. I'm not saying that what I wrote was any good. I'm just saying that I knew how to, I could see the staging in my head, right? I can see the blocking in my head. I knew, I knew timing right, right. for the stage in my head. And I thought right. that having that skill combined with the fact that uh, I've read as many comic books as anybody, mm -hmm. th that it would translate. And it is a drastically different animal. Um, oh, wow, okay. I mean, even just, even just the typing up of a comic script was so massively different that I remember spending a good deal of the, of the beginning stages, those first few days of typing it up and, and putting things down were literally me going back to like an online uh, reference that I found um, of like saying, oh, no, 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 you've got, you've got to indent, you've got to hit tab three times before you put your parentheses oh, wow. with the okay. S effect. I mean, just like little stuff like that that you don't even realize. Okay. It's just a physical different format. And then uh -huh. once, you, once you figure that out, the storytelling is massively different. I mean, it, you know, pacing in comics comes from 
size of panels to number of panels to how much sure. is being said when it's being said. Sure. And while there are overlaps, you're absolutely right, there are. There mm -hmm. definitely weren't as many as I thought there were going to be. And um, I, I think another spot where I was lucky is like parallel as an idea um, w was pretty solid in my head about at least thematically and certain structures that I wanted to tell. It was so solid that it allowed me to flail my arms a little bit and learn as I went, especially in the beginning and writing nice. that first half. Um, nice. The idea itself, the idea itself, I mean, you guys have read it and, you know, thematically and what makes it, I think, really relatable to anybody, whether you're a sci-fi fan or not, whether, whether the idea of a parallel universe where, you know, you might have a second chance if you're willing to uh, do what the other you is asking, whether you, whether that's your game or not, I really think thematically it's relatable because of that idea of, of, of a life of stagnation, of depression, of time slipping by you and your dreams kind of floating away from you. And that's mm -hmm. the existential dread that I felt every day <clears throat> and continue to feel. As cathartic as this was, it hasn't <laughs> solved the fact that, like, why isn't this now? Why haven't you written that? Or why haven't you written that? It never goes away. Um, and, right. and so that was always there. So, like, like, I'm living that just like most of us, I think, live that, right? Mm -hmm. But the catalyst, I think you'll like this, the catalyst was, uh, because if I, I'm feeling that for years, because I'm much older than Landon is in the story, right? So, like, mm -hmm. uh, I'm, I'm Landon waking up in the malaise, but literally 10 years after him. So there's no excuse for me not writing this sooner. So what, what did it was, the catalyst was, I have now been a teacher long enough where I have former students who are his age. Mm -hmm. and that I'm still in contact with, and they are literally living that life right now. And wow. it was through conversations mm. with them. Um, I'm thinking of one in particular, and she was like, like why, why am I in this cubicle? Why am I not in Chicago dancing? Mm. Like, when I, was, when I was 21, I knew what my life was going to be, and now six years later, it's not that. It's, it's now yeah. so far in the rearview mirror that I don't know that I can do it anymore. And that was what, like, that combined with what I was feeling already was like, okay, uh, not only do I know what I've got to write, but I've got to write it now. And that's kind of mm. how that, that kind of came together. Wow. So it was a former student that kind of inspired yes, you. Yes, absolutely. It's a handful of them, but I'm thinking of one in particular. But yeah, there was a handful of them who were like pushing their late 20s and right. were doing that thing where, uh, I you know, five years goes by and, and, and forever isn't forever anymore. And seriously, you know, regret starts to kick in for the first time. You're describing my life right now. This is getting way too close <laughs> to home. <laughs> like I'm feeling a little uncomfortable. I don't really know. So, so that's, the, I'm going to tell you guys that's synchronicities. The if there is, if there is one thing that I'm most proud of or, or most satisfied with, uh, with this story is the fact that, I really, really, really think it can be relatable to just about everybody. And, it, and, it, and it's, so, it's so weird because if you look at what Landon's going through and if you look at that kind of existential dread or that angst or that regret or whatever that we feel, the irony is we tend to go through that alone. Right. Like we tend to feel very isolated in that because that's our struggle, right? That's mm -hmm. our pain. That's our regret. That's our sadness. And you feel very alone in that. And the great irony of that is I'm 
pretty sure just about everybody else is going through something very similar. And we live it alone while everybody's got it thematically the story. That's why I think that's why I think it doesn't matter uh, that it's a him. It doesn't matter that he's of a certain age. It doesn't matter that his lost dream is music and mine was writing a comic or or whatever it is. Like, I I really think there's some relatability for just about everybody out there for this book. That's so sick. Isn't that the beauty of writing too? Cause it can build that bridge that makes it so like, we're all talking about existential dread right now. And we've all like probably yeah. experienced it, but because of this story now it's not as, as, um, and as isolated as it could be. Cause like here we are on a podcast discussing something that we've all been through. Absolutely. Love yeah. it. Makes it approachable. Love it. Yeah. Um, and so I think uh, when I just, uh, from my perspective, I've done a lot of art in my life and paints and do paintings and um and so i'm always coming from the it's funny because we we kind of have like three different versions of creativity with our podcast you know we all approach everything from three different ways really. yeah and so i always approach it from the the art and you know um zach and i've started you know we started a comic book and probably need to jump back at it when we get some time again in our lives but um how did you come to meet the artist or like how did that that you know that connection start um, I basically, again, I got lucky, uh, source point put everybody with me. It, oh, wow. If I had been left to my own devices, if, if, if I had to do what most first time creators have to do, which is, you know, go through, uh, you know, crowdfunding, go through Kickstarter or something like that and, and put it all together. I, especially when I started this, might I be able to do it now? Maybe. Back then, mm-hmm. it would have put me off. I, I just couldn't do it. I mean, you guys saw, I could, I could hardly make my phone work for this interview. <laughs> There's no way I'm pulling that off, much less like reaching out and finding somebody. I mean, my social media presence uh, as a public school teacher was zero. I had a zero footprint on social media. Uh, wow. Me being on Instagram was like part of my contract with SourcePoint, you know, to, to, to help do some, you know, promotion. And so like, I, I don't think I would have been able to do it. So I got lucky again in the fact that I stepped through a door that a lot of first-time creators don't get to step through. Um, it was Travis who hooked me up with Adam Ferris, and Adam is brilliant, and I, I, I hit the jackpot with that. So, yeah. you know, I, I've got this first half of the script. I got this 32 pages that I handed them. That gets sent to Adam, and Adam sends me back. Um, some character sketches, a couple of sample pages so I could, you know, his ideas for it and stuff like that. And, you know, I got to give approval or whatever, but what was really, really cool about getting hooked up with Adam was I got to live another one of those kind of like fanboy, like if you've read enough comics and you've read enough back matter in like the back of a trade or something, like, you know, that one of the, one of the cliched answers that writers of comics give and, and cliche, just because it's so many of them say it, not because it's not hundred percent true is that um, cliche. right 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 is that when you get to write for an for an artist like when you see what they can do and you write i got to write the second half of parallel for adam uh knowing what he could do and, and knowing certain stylistic things that he could do i got to write the back half with him in mind which was awesome mm. and then probably one of the biggest thrills of this entire process, you know, going through it as a fan, as in a first time creator, like through a fan's lens was another cliche, but oh my God, if this one isn't true, was when an artist takes your words that you think, because we get a little precious when we're writers, 
you think it's absolutely perfect. Like you can see it perfect in your head. Like it's a Greek philosophy thing. Like, like the perfection in your head and anything that comes out in the real world is always going to be less than the ideal in your head. And yeah, somehow right. Adam makes it better. There is no bigger thrill than when you write this scene and you're like, okay, that is perfect the way it is, the way I see it in my head. And what comes back and his changes and his adjustments and his take on it is actually better than your words. That was magic. I, I, I cannot say how thrilling that was. Man, that's awesome. I've heard that a lot, actually. I've heard like when you think you have something in your mind and then like when the, sometimes you don't connect with the artist, when the artist builds it up to a platform you didn't think you guys could achieve, like it's something completely new you didn't even see and it's better than your mind. Like that's got to be such a good feeling, like you're saying. Like, well, that, well the co- even, even the collaboration thing in and of itself, between, between Adam as the artist and the great writer in and of himself, Bob Sally, who was my editor on this, um, like I hadn't done creative collaboration before this. Like, like the, the, the play stuff was isolated. Like when, um, when one of the big publishing companies grabs one of your plays, they take it as is. You don't, you don't get a play published by like one of the four big play publishers in North America unless they want it exactly as it is. There's no edits. They take it, and that's it. That's why so, many, that's why so few of them get published each year and they get grabbed. This is a different thing. Like Bob, you know, Bob Sally had to give me notes and say, dude, you don't have an establishing shot here, right? And then, you know, I got very precious and was like, oh, this is ridiculous. I don't need it. And of course he knows better, <laughs> right? Adam's like, Adam's like, I just did a page with eight panels. This one needs to be five. And I'm like, oh, that's absolutely ridiculous. It needs to be. And of course they're always right. right. And of course he made it better every single time. Right. And um, so, so like even that collaboration piece was brand new for me, but it was like, you know, as much as I, as much as some of the visual things you see in here come from the script and are ideas that I had, right? Some of the repetitive panels to, to show the, the growing distance between the couple and things like that. As much as that was in the original that, script, the there's just as many things where Adam's like, no, no, it needs to, this needs to happen a little bit different or, or let's do it from this angle instead of this angle and just trust me on this. And he was right every single time. So that was a real cool thing to kind of um, to go through for a first time as well. Sure, sure, I can imagine. And, and, and you've kind of touched on your inspiration for the story. You know, your, your former students had a lot to do with that. And, and, and Landon Inspiration, I feel like, has some of you in it, but also some of everybody in it. Yeah. Um, I'm very curious, where did the inspiration for Claire's character come from? Well, so <laughs> I have to be really careful for this because, like, I've <laughs> a couple of people because cause there, there's people <laughs> – there's people in my life and there's people who have interviewed me who automatically think it's my wife. And, <laughs> I was thinking Claire from House of Cards, let me actually. Tell you, even <laughs> if it was, I would never admit it. Uh, <laughs> Smart man. She's, Smart man. I mean, she obviously has some pretty unsympathetic notes to her, especially in the first half. Now, I personally, yeah. looking at the story as a whole, I have a whole lot more sympathy for Claire in the second half of the book than I do for the first. Um, yeah, I think we empathize with Landon a lot more in the first and in the second half, you can see how a lot of this is self-made by him. And mm. I, I, I feel a lot more empathy for her in the second half. I think there, there is what's funny about Claire is, is <laughs> there's probably more of me in her than, uh, any other single person, right? <laughs> yeah. 
Like as much as, as much as I think I'm the victim, <laughs> Landon is, and the uh, woe is me, whether it's self-inflicted or not. Um, you know, just like most of us, like I, I'm, I'm the monster just as frequently as I am the victim, right? And so there's, there, there's that thing where those characters that were fleshed out, there, there's probably a little bit of me in each and every single one of them. So sure. yeah, she's not specifically based on anybody, and definitely not my wife. Uh, let's say that <laughs> one more time. So just for the listeners Defin- out there, it's not right. based on Definitely Jason's wife. Definitely not my wife. <laughs> Absolutely not. No, I think that's great. And it's almost like, I, I think that everybody can relate to both characters in their head a little bit. Claire's almost like the embodiment of the responsibility in your life or like the, you know, like what you have to do to get to be like successful. It's just like the, the strict nature that you have in the back of your head. A lot of us do of like, I know I should be doing this. I know I should be doing that. Like that's Claire. And you almost put her which into exists like, in like opposition of Landon, which I feel like is very like a dreamer and kind of floating. One of the lines that Claire, Claire has that I, I wrote down and highlighted is they're in an argument. And she says, yanking your head out of the clouds. And then another one is fanciful and misguided dreams. And I think that like that, that, vision of yanking Landon down like bringing him back down and bringing his head out of the clouds where I feel like he is it, they it work as they're they're almost like opposing forces right well, one well, is trying to pull down yeah. and the other one's trying to pull up I mean she's pragmatic but she's also not it's not I tried to make neither of them one note I mean yes she's pragmatic but she's also you can tell she's ridiculously ambitious Yes. Mm-hmm. And, and, and yes, he's a dreamer, but he's also, there's also a lazy streak there too, because like something, an idea that's been in my head for, for decades now is like th- this philosophy that it's always easier to do nothing than something, right? It's always easier to go with the flow, even if it's not in your best interest, right? I mean, like you yeah. see him in the first half of that book, he clearly settles. He clearly, yo, for sure. Mm-hmm. He, he clearly puts aside the dream. Not necessarily because it's not his dream anymore, but because it's so easy to say yes or no when you don't have to do as much, right? When right, Claire's right. in charge, think of how little thinking and doing he has to do. And that's right. always easier, mm-hmm. right? Yep. Mm-hmm. And, then, and, then, and then the horrible thing happens because time keeps on going, right? No matter how much we want it to slow down, it never does. And uh, uh, let's apparently this is the cliche podcast. The cliche is the blink of an eye, right? That's our and the second older name. you get, the, fe- the, the more time goes between in those blinks. And, like, and he blinks his eyes, and it's been eight years or whatever. Right. And, right, right. and it's like, great. Hooray. Now, now what are the consequences of me uh, doing nothing instead of doing something? Mm, absolutely. And, and, and you talked about the, the process of it sounds like it's always been a life goal of yours to write a comic book. And that was what was nagging in the back of your head and in the connection with Adam and all, all how it all came together, which is sounds as you say lucky but i think that you wouldn't have gotten there if you didn't have the talent to get there so you earned it and i'm i'm curious for this specific story because usually when you go into a comic book or a graphic novel in my experience there's there's a lot of visual there's a lot of action there's a lot of different things and this story is very in linden's head for the majority of it so what inspired this for the comic book format so if i think about why I wanted, I needed Parallel to be a comic book story. There's a couple things that pop into my brain. And the first is, of course, and I I mentioned this before, I mean, comics were always the dream, right? Um, This this was an early love of mine, but just thematically the same way as in the book, it's the dream deferred. It's time goes by, but this was always something I wanted to do. Um, Beyond that, though, and I think really the bigger answer 
is because comics I truly, truly believe in my heart are probably the most malleable and elastic of the mediums to tell stories in. It's, it, it, it does things that other mediums can't do while still taking some of the best things from those mediums, right? It, it can do certain things that a film can do visually. Um, it can do a lot of the stuff with the internal and uh, storytelling that prose can do. Um, but it can do a bunch of stuff that prose can't. It can do a bunch of stuff that film can't, right? And comics seem to be this very unique way to be able to tell a story. And the great thing about it is that um, there's also a certain amount of creative freedom in that, where uh, if you can tell any type of story because the medium itself allows you to, right, there isn't the restrictions, then suddenly there is no roadblock in your mind of what kind of story you can tell, right? It can be a superhero story. Of course it can. We have ample proof of that. But it can also be, you know, something a bit more internal, like parallel is. It can be something about mental health. It can be something about uh, second chances and 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 your regrets in life. Um, I, comics, I think, is very, very uniquely suited to be able to do that. Sure. Um, and indie comics specifically, right? Uh, um, for all the advantages that that like a big two have that the the kind of the 80 years of infrastructure behind it to be able to to get product out to a wider audience. I, I, I don't know. I mean, this is not this is not um, trashing them at all. But there's also limitations to that, right? There is an expectation from a larger company of what kind of stories you're going to be able to tell. Now, of course, of course, uh, they take risks and have taken risks over the years and told different types of stories. But for the most part, for the most part, it's it's a superhero medium, okay, for good or for ill. Indie comics have a lot less restrictions on that part. Now, there's drawbacks. Of course, there's drawbacks. You, uh, uh, the blood, sweat, and tears to go into making an indie comic, um, it's a lot harder and it's a lot longer. And then your distribution method is not quite as you know, expansive. There isn't necessarily as big of a built-in audience. But what you don't have is any restriction at all on what kind of story you can tell, right? So if, if you have an idea, um, I think you can tell it. You can tell it in the comic book's form. Um, you've got powerful visual things that, that, that would look good on film or maybe you couldn't even do on film. You can do that on a page. You can do that with panels. You can control your pacing and, and do things a camera can't do, um, but still give you that powerful visual thing that only a camera can do. I think that TV's like main kind of um, hindrance is that it's hard to do internal kind of storytelling with, uh, with a screen. And like what books can accomplish is that you can do all internal storytelling and it's very dynamic and comics can do almost both. I mean, they can be visual, they can have that art and they can also have that internal dialogue. Um, you mentioned something about Landon's decision at the end and I definitely got to go there with you. Uh, we, we, we just had a pretty interesting debate as to um, what happens at the end. Um, yes. And Jordan and I and Jr. I think all disagree. No, none of us really <laughs> agreed completely. Um, and so, what can you tell us about Landon's decision at the end? We, we we do spoilers on this podcast, by the way, so we've already spoiled it. You don't got to worry about that. So I have to be honest with you. I, I am ridiculously thrilled that uh, you guys debated <laughs> the ending. That you guys had disagreements uh -huh. about the ending. Um, so I think I mentioned that. 
the rollout for Parallel has been weird, right? It's a weird time in the world, and the rollout has been weird, okay? Uh, um, so the feedback that I've been getting has been kind of rolling in in, like, little waves, and the people that I've talked to who have read it, uh, you know, a bunch of copies went out um, actually two weeks before it was supposed to drop in stores on April 29th, right before Free Comic Book Day. Uh, it went out a few weeks early because SourcePoint Press got theirs early, and, 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 you know, stores were struggling, so they sent them out there. Um, sure, and like some sure. shops ordered them directly. So a lot of people got them and then, uh, people started ordering them after they went out there and people got them from that. And then of course, uh, diamond was up and running again. And now a whole bunch more shops have them and you know, that, that wave of feedback, but I'll tell you this, I think, I think the two, uh, the two bits of feedback, um, or the most consistent, um, bits of feedback that I have gotten that have absolutely thrilled me. Uh, one of which really, really ties into what you guys are talking about or your debate about the ending especially but the first one is really about and this one pleases me to no end because it was on my mind and that's the rereadability of the book right mm -hmm. and, and and you can look at that in two ways you can look at that as like more bang for your buck right um you know it's 64 pages you know kind of a little bit of a square bound you know small slim graphic novel um and you know for your your six or seven bucks uh you get 64 pages. How cool is it that you can go back and read it again? Because there's all these, once you get to the ending, um, you know, there's this compulsion to go back and read it again saying, what did I miss? It, uh, will I interpret it differently this time? Um, I think one of the coolest things is, and some of this was written in, but a lot of this was really Adam as the artist, uh, kind of laying out visual clues from the beginning of the book to the middle of the book to the end of the book um, to give you a sense of ambiguity. And I, th this is one of the things that I respect about him the most. And it's a bit of magic that I don't quite understand, but I've seen the results, so I know it's real. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know how you draw ambiguity, but Adam Ferris knows how, and he has, and it's amazing. <laughs> um, and so, like, you're with Landon throughout this story there's a moment there's moments where he believes it's all happening in his head and he's losing his mind there's moments where he truly believes it's real because it is right and as an audience you go back and forth on that you can reread this book and depending on how you interpreted the ending right and obviously there's different ways you guys are proof of that um when you go back and read through, you might change your mind. You might, at the points where Landon is questioning himself, going, no way, dude, it's real, or vice versa. And there's some clues in the art. And this is, this is a little bit of like, um, well, I'll tell you this. Uh, this is a little behind the scenes. I don't think I've said this in an interview yet. Ooh. But uh, something very, very cool that Adam did um, that he added his own personal touch to was if you go back and read it, I want you to look for every single physical manifested interaction between other Landon and our Landon. Okay, so whenever they are both in the room together and they're interacting, okay, not just not just the voice in his head, but he, he can see him and there's physical contact and there's interaction. Go back and check out every single one of those things from the beginning to the end of the book. Adam did this brilliant thing where if you reread it, you'll pick up on this. Um, each one is drawn a little bit differently. Okay, it's never the same. So, what does that mean? Right. Right. What do you think that means? Uh, uh, the, the fact that 
the interaction is slightly different each and every time, even though they're talking. I mean, there's an escalation in what they're talking about, but they're talking about the same thing. They're leading the same goal, and yet the interaction is different each time. What does that mean? Uh, what could that possibly mean? Does that change your mind about how you think this ended? And that's the other bit of feedback that has absolutely delighted me to no end. And I know a lot of us want uh, that satisfaction. You know, how, how satisfying is it for somebody to say, this is what, this is what happened. Um, and as much as this is, you know, a spoiler pod, it's funny. You guys talk about the end, but like, I don't know. What do you think happened at the end? Right? <laughs> uh, I don't think any one of your interpretations is less valid than the other. Um, because I think, <laughs> I think how you interpret the ending says something about you. Says something about the reader. Hey, oh. <laughs> how the tables You can find turned. that you don't have to, but like, think about that for a minute. If you see it a certain way, you're seeing it a certain way. I mean, here's the author right now telling you that you're no less valid for feeling that, that it doesn't end well for him other than or, or the, the polar opposite ending, which would be like the clean slate, and he gets that second chance without having to give up uh, so much of his um, uh, what's important to him or, or at least his mental health and physical health now. Um, so what does that say about you that you're thinking about it that way? Man, I need a therapist. (laughs) (laughs) I I need therapy, bro. (laughs) And I think that comes back again to, you know, some of the themes here. Um, these are things that a lot of us, most of us, maybe even all of us experience, but what does that mean? How do you how do you interpret that when you're going through it alone, right? Are you going to get help? Um, are you going to talk to somebody about it? Are you going to try to deal with it on your own? Is there no way out of this thing that that is bringing you down, or is there light mm-hmm. at the end of the tunnel? And okay. uh, what's kind mm. of cool is for every different way you could think about it, I've kind of if you can if somebody can think about an interpretation of the ending. Yeah, sure. Absolutely. That works. I love that. I love a controversial. A little ambiguity never hurt anybody, yeah. you know? Like, yeah. Make your own decision. So good. It so makes good. you have um, I'm also Googling therapy as we speak yeah. behind the scenes. <laughs> probably, probably all of us I think you know bit. what side Zach saw when he saw yeah. the end of it. <laughs> so this is kind of – we're kind of heading towards the end here. Um, one thing it, we want people to find out is – what what we do for our listeners is support and and you know I, I think writing creative putting things on create you know out of creative mindset onto a physical form is probably one of the most beautiful things that we that we see in life and so we want people to support and where where can they go buy or where can they they can find your parallel I know where I can get it Action City Comics is where I is my second home it's on the shelf on the new release there and he's also has it in his independent books uh shelf as well and i know for a fact already sold already sold sold multiple copies so he's very happy about that and um so when i saw i I let him know what you know what we're doing so he's like oh i think i'm just gonna put it in the new you know we're pretty tied we're we're pretty close to action city so you know he put it in the new stuff so where, where else can they find it i mean everybody should go to action city and buy it because that's I'm biased, but where else can can other people like? Not everybody's in Washington either. Yeah. Well, I am so very glad uh, that you asked this question. Not uh, only because it is obviously time for the shameless self-motion part of the show, 
but uh, also because today. literally be there has be not been and, uh, an easier we'll time next week. Next to week get we have a live in-person episode. Right Okay, number uh, one. So we're looking forward to that. And so yeah, if you're able I'm to coming do this, down for Alaska to Washington. This is the I'm gonna newest these, way to do these, it. This is something uh, that most people couldn't do for the <laughs> last decade. Over here. Little squirrelies. Literally, little squirrelies. Like hit that, up your uh, local brick and mortar uh, local comic book shop. Take them to church. Uh, and walk in. We're going to be drinking beer from the band. Like your guys' shop, that it is there. Now, if you walk into that shop, if you can, right? <laughs> don't have it. I, I can't um, wait for that. Uh, right? uh, there are copies <laughs> left at SourcePoint, so they uh, <laughs> SourcePoint are uh, fulfilling uh, orders. Thank, so thank you so much, Jason, for being on this episode. Say it by said, name, you right. Jason Douglas. Check him out. He is the fact that you can read a book and have a response artist which is the code that was in previews back in February. It's a very easy code to remember, so write it down and go in there and tell them. It's super easy. Get out there. He has a lot of great things to say. And as always, you can find us at Hot Reviews Pod, Instagram, and Twitter. Super easy to remember. Week. That's when Return of the Jedi came out. Peace. So, FEB 20, 1983. They will order it for you. Now, if for some bizarre reason uh, they won't order it for you, or, or more likely, you can't get to a shop. You're far away from a shop. Uh, your shop is not open. Um, it's not safe to go into a closed space. Whatever your reality may be, you still want this to read super easy. Just head over to SourcePointPress.com, www.SourcePointPress.com. Go to their shop. You can get to them through Twitter and Instagram and Facebook or just the web and order a copy, and they will ship it to you. Uh, very reasonable shipping costs. Um, it, you know, that, that supports a small publisher too. Absolutely. Here's the last thing that I want you to do is go and check me out on Instagram. Um, it's like the only social media I've got, you know, public school teacher during the day, we kind of try to avoid some social media a bit like the plague. Um, and <laughs> makes sense. Go check me out at J Douglas writes at J Douglas writes. And I am not a should. famous person, which means everybody you send follow. me a message. Go I will follow. talk to you uh, and I will reach out back to you and I will check out your page. And you've got a question about the ending. And just like these gentlemen here, I will not tell you how to interpret <laughs> the ending, but we can talk Day about line. it. You got questions. We'll do your own mini interview. One more. I got one one last final question. What's next for Jason Douglas? So two things going on right now, two things being worked on. One in the immediacy, the like right now being worked on as we speak. Um I'm writing a little something. We're cooking it up with a with a buddy of mine that has it's a story that has um, some very, very prescient uh, tones to it and direct parallels, sorry for that, uh, to some stuff that's going on in the world right now. But the story itself then does a bit of a jump and kind of devolves, I don't know if that's the right word, but devolves into a very classic horror story in the woods and a mysterious adversary. Um, so that's been a lot of fun to kind of, we're starting to, hack off the edges of that right now. Not much more I'm going to say about that because it's in the very, very early gestation period. But I will tell you this, the project that um, kind of exists in a much more complete form almost that I am very excited about and very, very passionate about um, is a book that I'm putting together. I have got at this point, I've got, I've got the pitch. Uh, I've got the research. I've got uh, the character bio bios. I've got the story beats for four issues and I've got a complete script for issue one. Um, this is a story that is near and dear to my heart because 
it is inspired by and has some parallels to, again, there I go with that, uh, w- with some things that um, my late grandmother experienced and went through. And then is also inspired, again, a classroom connection, a bit of a catalyst, by a lot of students who have gone through my classroom over the last 20 years, who even though my teaching as a professional is pretty much exclusively in the 21st century, even in the 21st century, these people are going through the classroom still feel marginalized and othered because of gender or race or religion Ooh. or their sexual orientation okay. or their gender orientation or whatever it is, uh, even um, in these very modern times where we feel we have come so far, uh, they still feel that to one extent or another. And that is something that kind of has always really, really, really hit me um, and been a weight on my heart. So this story I am taking all that and pushing it back in time where things were even worse for people who were considered other. And this story is a post-World War II story. It takes place in 1946 in a small town, Plymouth, Michigan. And I think the really, really cool thing about this story is it's got the the thing that's going to draw a lot of people in is it does have uh, superhero undertones. Okay, our main protagonist, a young 15 year old girl named after my grandma and while in 1946 she was actually older, uh, there's a few similarities. Um, this young lady uh, has uh, some enhanced strength, some enhanced speed, some enhanced senses in a world where that does not exist. It was triggered uh, when she learned about the death of her father in a bombing mission in World War II where he was serving a couple years earlier and has been hiding that aspect of herself ever since. Her mom is a very classic Rosie the Riveter, but in 1946, we all know what happens. The soldiers come mm-hmm. home and all those jobs go away, or at least most of them go away. And now they've got nowhere to support themselves. And here is this young female protagonist who has the ability to probably do the work of 10 men in a factory and yet has to hide who she really is. So any support you can give, if this has been interesting to you or um, uh, you already read Parallel and you like it, mm-hmm. um, yeah, I could use your support to get the second project out there. So um, yeah, that that's kind of what I've got on tap and, and hopefully that gets out there and and, and then you and I can, can talk again, and we'll, we'll talk about this next story. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. Well, you got our support, Jason. We appreciate all this. And we're going to be sending some messages out to SourcePoint ourselves. Like you said, closed mouth doesn't get fed. So if you are enjoying what you're hearing or reading, send some more love out so we can get some more of this content out in the world. Because I think that that story you just portrayed out there is... A beautiful story that needs to be. That told. could be your pitch. You should just cut that. <laughs> yeah. And just like if you want, we'll send you this little snippet. And start sending it out to <laughs> like right just to emailing the audio clip to all these publishers. I feel like that was it right there. So that's powerful <laughs> and that's beautiful. That was and special. Anybody that reads or has read Parallel, we you feel the the intimacy from you know your personal experience. So I I think that that would be a beautiful story to hear, and and, and we're gonna support that. That's very exciting, man. So, absolutely. Absolutely, man. And, and thank you so much for coming on. This has been so fun. This is the first, like we said, this is the first time we've got to read a story, review it, and then ask all the questions we wanted to ask. And I think that it's been, I've had a fucking great time. So thank you so much, Jason. Me too. Yep. Well, listen, thank you so much for having me on today. This was a ridiculous amount of fun. Um, I really appreciate the opportunity to, to talk about the book and, and how it came to be and dive deep on some of the some of the deeper and darker and more disturbing aspects of the not only the process, but but the book itself and and give uh, giving me an opportunity to, you know, talk to some more people and get it out there in the world and talk about what's coming next too. 
and, and how to get the book in their hands. I truly appreciate it, and I will come back and do this anytime you want. You guys are very good at your job, and I thank you so much for having me on today. Thank you. Oh, we appreciate that, man. We can't wait. Uh, JR and Zach, before we close out, uh, is there anything you want to plug before we close out? I know, JR, you got an uh, auction going on. Yeah, we got um, – so support, kind of what you're saying, small businesses, uh, Action City Comics. Um, we're, we as Hop Heroes are managing an art auction. So if you go to, to the Instagram, you go to our Instagram, you go to Action City Facebook, you'll see a lot of art being auctioned to their uh to, to bid on and you can bid on in the comics and all uh, and all that support goes to to doug at action city who's been a, a an amazing comic book uh, owner since he's, t- he's taken over for his brother jim a couple years ago so uh, just keep an eye on that that auction will start um well two days prior to this dropping so on it's already out there and uh put some bid out i'm gonna put a batman out there for the auction so Dibs. um Zach calls dibs. Big up, put money on there, and uh, I'm prices right your ass, bro. <laughs> yeah, gonna and it's gonna it. it's gonna be an argument, but uh, yeah, go out there and, and take a look at that. It's it was harder than I thought, uh, but it's been fun, and uh, I, I love doing the work. So awesome, man. Z, you got anything you want to post? Uh, nothing today. Just be safe, everybody. Be safe, yep. and uh, we'll talk to you guys next week. Next week we have a live in person episode. Uh, so we're looking forward to that. So. Yeah, I'm coming yeah. down from Alaska to Washington. I'm gonna see these these uh, little squirrelies, squirrely <laughs> gentlemen over here. Little squirrelies, thanks. little squirrelies. People don't talk like that, Jordan. Uh, yeah, thanks, Jordan. And uh, very excited about it. And we have uh, we're we're gonna be drinking beer from the band Hanson. Hanson Brothers have now started a brewery, and we're very excited to have some mm hops. In our <laughs> life, so. I can't wait for that. Thank you so much. Up, thank you so much, Jason, for being on this episode. And as you said, Jay Douglas Jason. Wright. Yeah, thanks so much. Check him out. He is the fact that you can read a book and have a responsive artist respond to you and talk is the most exciting thing in the world. And that's one of the beauties of today's technology. So take advantage of it. Get out there. He has a lot of great things to say. And as always, you can find us at Hop Heroes Pod, Instagram, and Twitter. And we'll catch you all next week. Thanks for listening. Thank you. Peace.